Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. زوال و بی پایان اوست که نجات میبخشد و میرهاند و کارهای شگفتانگیز در آسمان و زمین انجام میدهد اوست که دانیال را از چنگ شیران نجات داد South Valley. How's everybody doing? You guys all right? You guys excited to be here on a, on a Sunday morning? Can I get a big amen? Amen, amen. Well, my name is Jonathan Mondragon. For those of you guys that don't know me, I'm the Next Generations Pastor here at South Valley, and I am very excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but on Wednesday nights, we're going through the same exact series in the book of Daniel, so we've been tracking along with you, but uh, something interesting that as I was reading through the book of Daniel in preparation for the series, uh, as I was looking at the sermons from chapter one all the way to up to this point we're in, I was especially excited for chapter four, because I knew it was going to be a powerful sermon, it was going to be a life-changing sermon, so to say that I'm excited that I get to even preach it here on Sunday is an understatement uh, in, in all its truth that I can be with you guys here today. Uh, today we're going to be in part two of Daniel chapter four, and we're going to read the interpretation of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. I'm not sure if you guys remember last week, but uh, Seth was up here and he preached about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and it was this warning sign from God to him to turn away from his sin and his, and his life full of pride so that he, he may have mercy over him, so that way his greatness might be extended. So we have a lot to cover today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip on over to Daniel chapter 4. And, but before we, before we read it, before we pray, uh, I, I do want to say that God is in this place this morning, amen? amen. I, I, I am beyond excited and, and just taken back of, of this morning's worship, and I, I don't think it's, it's happening by any accident. I don't think it's happened by, 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 by any uh, just chance, by any means. I really do believe that God is going to do something today, that he has a message prepared for you guys to hear this morning. So um, with that said, go ahead and flip on over to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 19, 19, but let's pray first. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for a time of worship that we get to lift your name up on high. That we get to lift our hands up and lift our voices up for the one that deserves all the glory for everything. The one that deserves all the glory for salvation. The one that deserves all the glory for the grace that you've given us, God. You're the reason why we come every Sunday. You're the reason why we serve. You're the reason why we sing. And I just ask that we never forget that. As of today, that this message just penetrate the heart. God, I said that, that this whole series long, that you've been preparing our hearts for what you have to say to us here today. 
that we get to understand that God has been chasing us along. That you've been making ways to get to us. That even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, you are here. We love you so much, God. We thank you so much. And in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says... Amen, amen. Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. We got a lot to read, so here we go. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Then Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached the heavens and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the fields found shade and in which those branches of the birds of the heavens lived, it is you. <clears throat> o king who have grown to become strong, your greatness has grown to reach the heavens and your dominion to, to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots on earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the fields, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord King, that you shall be driven among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be conform, confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a, length, a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives them to whom he will." Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my, head, my eyes to heaven, 
and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants on earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will the host of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for, the, and, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exult and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to to humble. Amen? What an incredible story. What an amazing story. Honestly, it's becoming one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But one thing I want to point out about chapter 4 as a whole is King Nebuchadnezzar's edict. Is what he proclaims about who God is because it is very important not only to us but also to him because he says some very important things that are still true to us today in that edict. But before we read it, I want to show you how important this edict was to Nebuchadnezzar. Right? In chapter 4, there's a shift of narration. We see the story go from third person, and now we see into the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, as if he's writing down these words. And this letter is very evident that it's important to him. This edict that he writes is very important to him. The reason we know this is because uh, of contextual clues about the language that it's written in. See, this chapter 4 is written in Aramaic, which is not a Babylonian language. It's actually a secondary language to the Babylonians. This language uh, of Aramaic was taught to all those nations that the Babylonians had conquered. Now, I'm not sure if you guys recall in chapter 1 when Pastor Ricky was up here preaching. And he would say what the Babylonian Empire would do and King Nebuchadnezzar would do. They would go and take over nations. And they would take the brightest and best, right? The young, the young guys, the brightest and best, and they would indoctrinate them with the false idols and this horrible culture that the Babylonians would indulge in. And on top of that, they would teach him this Aramaic language. So when Nebuchadnezzar is talking about this edict and proclaiming things about God, he wants to make sure that everybody knows what is happening. He wants everybody to understand what is happening and what had happened to him. And I think our next question about that should be why? Why would a king that thinks himself as a god that would make a, a golden statue for people to bow down and worship him, why would he want everybody to know that there is another that is higher than him? Why would he want there to know? Why would we want everyone to know there was a king of kings, a lord of alone, that there was a most high that rules over every single kingdom on earth? See, he wants everybody to know and understand what he says about God and what happened to him because this chapter 4 is his testimony. 
It is a powerful testimony that he wants everybody to know the good news and who God is and how he is good and gracious and loving and full of mercy that he can save anybody no matter how prideful they are, no matter how far gone they may seem, they are reachable through the grace of God. Amen? Amen. See, and he states this edict, and it's very true. He says that God is the judge. That his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That is true for us today, right? It was true back then. It's true to us today. It will be true forever. However, he states this edict twice. He states it in the beginning and then again when God delivers him from his insanity. See, the first time that he says this edict, he acknowledges God because he witnessed this amazing miracle that was performed through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego while they were in the fire. And he delivers them from there. And he acknowledges God and he says, wow, this is the most high, but he does not bow down to the most high. Not yet, because he still believes that he's the most high. He still believes Nebuchadnezzar is the most high. But then again, towards the end of this chapter, we see that he says this edict for a second time. After he's been humbled and healed, he is fully surrendered to the Most High, convinced that his kingdom, that God's kingdom, will reign forever and not his own. And that's exactly what I want to talk about here today. I want to talk about King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony of his conversion. Because I truly believe that Nebuchadnezzar was converted, that he was renewed, that God restored him spiritually. So I present to you guys today for your consideration that God chose him, that God made a way for him, and that God saved him. Let me ask you guys a question. Has anyone here ever been humbled, like really humbled, right? Maybe, uh, I know one of my favorite ways for people to get humbled, and by the way, I've been humbled, and I will share that story with you. It's very embarrassing, and you guys are allowed to laugh at me. But one of, the, one of my favorite ways that I see people get humbled is, like, you know, when, like, you see, bo- like, I love watching boxing, you know, boxers, where they, like, start talking a lot of trash, and then the fight happens, and then they get knocked down on the floor. There's, like, a little bit of me when I'm, like, oh, that sucks that you got knocked down, but I'm, like, that's what happens when you talk a lot, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a little bit of justice is served there. I don't know. Something in me kind of a little bit satisfied about what happens to people like that. Right? But I've been humbled before. Not in that way. I haven't been knocked down, thankfully. I'm still kind of young, so I'm, I don't know. I guess there's still time. Right? But I've been humbled in, in, in other ways. I don't know if, I'm not sure if you guys remember the last time that I was up here preaching on the prodigal son, but I, I shared a story about uh, when I asked out my beautiful wife, my now beautiful wife, uh, for the first time ever, and it was an embarrassment, and it didn't go very well. Well, things didn't uh, go smoothly from there, from there on out, right? Because what, what, what I really want to share with you guys today is the continuation a little bit about that story, right? That she had miraculous, miraculously said yes to me. Right? She said that she would agree to go on a date with me, but from there things began to get worse because we decided to go to um, a movie. So I'm getting ready. I want to make sure I look my best. Right? I'm sure if you guys recall the first time you guys went on your first date with your now wife, but you know, I was a little bit nervous, so I had to make sure I, I, I looked my best, I put my best outfit on, and on top of that, my secret weapon about the night was that I was going to ask my dad if I could borrow his truck. Right? Because I don't want to pull up to Gigi's house with my red Plymouth neon from 1995. 
that barely runs that I've had to push a few times, right? So I'm like, hey, Dad, can I please borrow the car, right? The cool thing about this truck that it was like a nice pickup truck. It was all blacked out, tinted windows. And one of the coolest things I liked about it is that it was uh, lifted. I'm not sure if you guys noticed, but I'm pretty short. <laughs> I'm vertically challenged um, as the nicest way that I've been told. So I was looking forward to being in a truck and feeling like I was like six feet tall, you know what I mean? I, I've been down here for so long, I want to be up here for a little bit, right? So I started illusion, start, started, started making myself pump up like, man, I'm going to pull up to Gigi's house. Gigi's going to look at me and be like, dang, I want to marry this guy. Right? I want to pull up, I want her dad to see me and be like, man, when is he going to marry my daughter, right? I pull up, so I, my dad says yes, he says be careful, I go over there, I pull up to the, to the house, I get out, his dad greets me, uh, uh, coincidentally they're actually outside playing basketball, they had like a little hoop and they were playing as a family, rather very close family, and uh, he pulls up to the window and he's like, hey, why don't you come down, right, because I had rolled my window down and I looked really cool, you know, looking down on him a little bit. He said, hey, why don't you come down and meet the rest of the family? I'm like, oh, man, here we go. I opened the door, I promise you. He was up here, uh, he was looking at me up here, and then I came down, he was like. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm sorry for deceiving you guys. I'm not six feet tall. I'm barely five feet. <laughs> Anyways, things went well. I got, to, I, entered, I got to meet everybody, everything went well. And we had some time to kill before the movie, so I decided to play basketball. Right? Uh, I was playing basketball, getting pretty competitive. I went up for a rebound. I go down, and I uh, land on a sprinkler, and I twist my ankle. Right? Um, so for most people, it would be like, okay, that's it. It's over. The day's over. Go home. Ice it. Rest. Relax. Everything, you know what I mean? Just the date's over. Just accept defeat. Right? And I'm like, no. I spent money on two tickets, and I'm ready for dinner. And for someone like me that's broke, that's a lot of money. And on top of that, it was a miracle that Gigi said yes for this date. So I'm not going to waste it. Right? So I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's just go. Let's power through this. And here's the thing where things went from bad to worse. That I didn't realize until I was limping my way over to the truck that the truck was like four feet up the ground. So my ankle's messed up. And I'm short. I could not get on this truck. <laughs> Gigi's looking at me, and I'm like, ow, how do I? And so I look at Gigi with humiliation in my eyes, with just regret. And as the words that are going to come out of my mouth, I wish I could pull them back. But I say, Gigi, can you give me a lift? <laughs> And the sweet soul that she is, she's like, yes, of course, and she comes. And could you imagine my first date with this girl? And she's like, all right, come on up. <laughs> Man, I was completely humiliated. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how she married me. Guys, you will come to see that my marriage is a miracle. <laughs> right? But I was utterly and completely humbled in that moment. Right? Stop thinking you're anything else. Right, and the reason I tell you this is not just to, not for you guys to laugh at me, but because Nebuchadnezzar's story, his testimony, is highly, highly leaned upon his humiliation that God puts him through. And how God fully humbles him for him to realize that he is the most high. 
And it was a long journey for Nebuchadnezzar to get there because here's one thing that we don't realize, that God has been chasing him along this whole book. And if we don't pay attention and read Nebuchadnezzar's responses to what God has been doing and teaching him through Daniel, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we wouldn't miss it. So that's where we're going to start today. We're going to start from the beginning. So we're going to do a little bit of review. I'm going to start with my first point today, which God chose Nebuchadnezzar in his sovereignty. God chose Nebuchadnezzar in his sovereignty. See, when we go to chapter 2, we see something interesting happen, right? And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants someone to interpret it, but he doesn't want someone just to interpret it. He wants someone to tell him what his dream was, and if they get it wrong, they will be tore from limb to limb. But we see in this that Nebuchadnezzar is impressed by God when he sees Daniel come be able to give him his dream and be able to give him the interpretation of the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is impressed by God by this, but he, does, but he does it and he is impressed by him while praising Daniel in chapter 2. And through this we see God, that he, God teaches him his omniscience. God teaches him that he knows all things. That he is superior above all things. That he knows all the mysteries of the world. We see in chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. And God delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. They do, God, they do not die. They do not even get burned. Not even their clothes light on fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar says that there was a fourth in there like a son of the gods. He's talking about this Christophany that we see in chapter 3 of Jesus being with his people. And at this moment, we see that Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God. He's not just impressed by him, but he acknowledges God. So much so that he makes a decree and he says this edict that his dominion is everlasting, his kingdom is everlasting. But he still doesn't bow down to God. Because he still thinks that he's the one worthy of being bowed down to. And in chapter 3, we see God teach him about his omnipresence. That he is everywhere. That he is with his people. In the highs, in the lows. That he is with them in the fire, in the mountaintops. And in this chapter, we see Nebuchadnezzar finally bow down to God. That he humbles him. He strips everything away from him, everything that Nebuchadnezzar held near and dear to his life, everything that he thought brought him glory is stripped away from him, and he is utterly humiliated so that he could be humbled to finally realize that God is the Most High, and by the end of this chapter that we just read, we see Nebuchadnezzar bow down to God and praise God and give the glory to God and not himself. And God, through this, in chapter 4, teaches him his omnipotence. <clears throat> that he is all-powerful. That he's the one that's in control. That he sets the kingdoms of earth. And he puts the person in charge and takes off the one he does. He doesn't. And he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Amen? You see, when I look at this story, we, and I see Nebuchadnezzar from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 4, we read up to, to what we're reading here today, 
I think who we relate to most in this story is not Daniel, is not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I truly believe that we identify more with Nebuchadnezzar. And that sounds like an outlandish statement, right? But take a look at this. We see Daniel in chapter 2, while God used him to teach Nebuchadnezzar about his omniscience, we see that Daniel praised before the breakthrough. Do you guys catch that? That, before, that, that, that? that while Daniel went to the king and said, hey, I will give you the interpretation and I will tell your dream, and he was confident enough for God to come through to him, before God even gave him what, uh, let him know what the interpretation was and let him know what the dream was, Daniel praised God. Before God came through, Daniel praised before the breakthrough. Then we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they praised during the breakthrough. While in the fire, while face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. Standing up to him saying, my God can, my God will, but even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. In the midst of the fire, in the burning in this place that was meant to, for suffering, that he, they praised God in the furnace. They praised God in their breakthrough. They praised God during the breakthrough. And then we see here Nebuchadnezzar, he praised after the breakthrough. He praised after the breakthrough. And in his pridefulness, he didn't, he didn't want to recognize God. He didn't want to bow down to God. And it wasn't until after God humbled him and restored him and gave him his mind again and gave him his glory back again and gave him his kingdom back again. It wasn't until that moment that Nebuchadnezzar praised God. And I believe that's exactly how it is for us. And when we're going through breakdowns break, uh, and we're going through the pits and we're going through bad circumstances, we're going through the lows of our lives, when we're going through depression and anxiety and the things that this world just weighs us down with, then in those moments we reach out to God and it's not until He answers our prayers, it's not until He takes us out of those circumstances that we get down on our knees and we begin to praise Him. We are just like Nebuchadnezzar. In more ways than we will even acknowledge. Because there's more to the story. But God chose Nebuchadnezzar in his sovereignty. Amen? And God all made a way for Nebuchadnezzar by exposing his sin. God made a way for Nebuchadnezzar by exposing his sin. We get to this story where... Daniel hears the dream of what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, and we see that Daniel, the man of God, is now stunned and alarmed. And he is fearful, not for his own life, but fearing for what might happen to Nebuchadnezzar. See, I think that through the years, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar formed a good friendship. That they genuinely cared for one another. They spent many years together, and they had this genuine friendship with one another. 
Even Nebuchadnezzar in verse 19 comforts Daniel and says, don't let this dream or interpretation alarm you. Right? Try to, try, tries to comfort him in this moment. That we can say that they formed a friendship with one another. And we see Daniel fear for his friend. And he has compassion for his friend. But check this out. And don't miss this. Compassion does not get in the way of conviction and commission. Let me say that one more time. That compassion does not get in the way of conviction and commission for the man of God. Meaning because he had compassion for him, that didn't mean that Daniel wasn't going to tell him what he was doing wrong. That just because he felt bad for him and he loved his friend, it didn't mean that he was not going to be convicted to tell him and expose him of his sin and what he was doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And on top of that, he also had commission. And he knew he had a duty to tell him about who God is and tell him that God is quick to forgive, that he is full of grace and mercy and love, that if he repents, that he would be forgiven. See, compassion does not get in the way of conviction and commission for the man of God. See, he responds to him saying that he wishes that this dream was about his enemies. Interpretation was not for him, but was for his enemies. But however, Daniel must, just like we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak truth in love. And I love that Daniel does not stutter or stammer, but he gives it to the king directly. And just like we see in other parts of scripture, like Moses goes before Pharaoh, like Elijah goes before Ahab and the prophets of Baal, like John the Baptist goes before Herod, and Jesus goes before Pilate, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar not what he, needs to, not what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. What he needs to hear. So he interprets his dream. And he tells him, you are the great tree that symbolizes Greatness. You are, you are the tree that is chopped down. Right? You will live like an animal outdoors in the field for seven years. And all of this is to teach you a valuable lesson. That the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anybody that he wants. And when you come to your spiritual senses, you will get your kingdom back. See, he doesn't... He doesn't just sugarcoat it. He doesn't stop himself because of the compassion that he has for his friend. It's in fact the love that he has for Nebuchadnezzar, the love that he has for his friend is the reason why he tells them the things that he needs to hear. See, we need to be like Daniel. We need to be friends like Daniel. We need to have friends like Daniel in our lives. That when we see our friends in faults, we see our friends that are, that are sinning against God. We must expose that sin to them. The Bible tells us to admonish one another, to correct one another, to be there for one another, to expose one another's sin. Not so that you may boast in yourself, 
Not so that you can spread hate on towards them. Not so you can feel superior than them. But for the very reason for them, for you to gain a brother in Christ. Because you love them. We are called to expose the sins. But also we're called to to show them to show them love and hope of our God. See, Daniel was willing to share the bad news with him, even if it broke his heart. But also he was ready to call for repentance. He was ready to offer hope. He was ready to let him know that God is gracious, that God is loving. He is quick to forgive and show mercy. He says, listen to my counsel. I love this part. Listen to my counsel. Stop your sinning and start doing the right thing. Stop your wickedness and injustice. Show mercy to the oppressed. If you do, God may be kind and perhaps you will. There will be an extension for your prosperity. Please repent that God may have mercy on you. Please repent that God will show love. Please repent and God will forgive. That is the God that we worship and praise and love. The God that, that forgives, that shows grace, that shows mercy. But we see Nebuchadnezzar, he quickly forgets what Daniel tells him. And how Daniel warns him. And how Daniel rebukes him. My last point for you guys here today is that God saved Nebuchadnezzar by humbling him. God's judgment falls on Nebuchadnezzar. He finally pays the price for his self-glorification and his pride inside of his heart. See, he forgot what the Most High had given him and his great kingdom and he forgot or maybe even cho chose to ignore Daniel's uh, warning and, and call to repentance. And we see here, that as he was walking on the roof of the royal uh, place of, uh, palace of Babylon, he began to brag and boast about who he was and what he had done. He says this in verse 30. Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence in my vast power for my majestic glory? Isn't it all about me? Essentially what he's saying is that I did all this. I deserve all this. I deserve all the praise. I deserve all the glory. I am the wisest. I am the strongest. I am the smartest. I am the man. I deserve all the glory that is coming to me from this great empire that I have built. Despite the warning, despite the call to repentance, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. And he begins to brag about himself. See, Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten this basic, fundamental truth. And he will be reminded in a hard way. Because while he was still talking about himself and glorifying himself, the voice, a voice came from heaven like a divine thunderclap. With a message of severe judgment and sentencing. The Most High rules the kingdom and declared this over him. This kingdom is taken from you. You will be driven away from humanity. You will live with the animals. You will act like an animal. You will eat like an animal. 
this will last as long as it takes, which is seven years, that you may acknowledge that the Most High rules and is ruler over human kingdom, and he gives it to anybody that he wants. The one that glorified himself, the one that thought much of himself, is now less than human. The one that thought he was a superhuman is now subhuman. That he is like a beast, not of sound mind, physically altered, eating grass from the fields, not wanting anything about God. He finally reflected outwardly what his heart looked like, bestial. Not wanting anything to do with God. Not wanting to, anything to do with God's grace or his mercy or his love or relationship with him. Throughout the whole first few books of this, uh, the first few chapters of this book, we see him continually turn his back and continually turn his eye away from the truth of who God is calling him to be, his child. Soon enough, we see Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Amidst of being alone and cold and bestial and of not of sound mind, we see him, we see him go from pride to praise. After looking down on the ground like an animal, he turned up and looked up to God in heaven, and he was restored. He was restored to being made in the image of God, who he would come to know as a Savior. See, Nebuchadnezzar was genuinely converted and saved. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Because he repented of where he was. See, repentance, what it means is to turn away from the direction you're heading. That when you're going this way, you repent and you go this way. You no longer want to serve the empires of this world. He no longer wanted to be a part of this Babylonian empire with a horrible culture. He wanted to go and worship and praise God. He went from pride to praise. Because guess what the opposite of pride is? Praise. See, pride, what it means is making much of me. Prize is making much of him. It was a full 180. Turned away. He went straight to God. And we see Nebuchadnezzar finally praise God. It says verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That was the sin that he battled with the most, pride. He is saying that any sin he is able to forgive, he is able to restore. He is able to humble those who are in pride. He is able to wash any sin that you struggle with. He is the one that restores. He is the one that loves. He is the one that saves. And see what I love about this is that Nebuchadnezzar gives all the glory and all the credit of his salvation to Nebuchadnezzar. See, here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar played no role in his salvation. He gives all the credit. See, he was not of sound mind. 
He didn't want nothing to do with God in that moment. All he wanted to do was eat grass. And it's not until God showed him grace and mercy to restore him that he was saved. It's the fact that God chose him, not that Nebuchadnezzar chose God. And see, that's us. That's why I think we relate more to Nebuchadnezzar than we do Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We need a renewal of our mind. We need to be renewed from our minds. That we're not able to give ourselves. We need a new mind for God. We need a new heart for God. See, we have been indoctrinated in this Babylonian world that we live in. That doesn't honor God, but honors themselves. So we are born in this way. We are born sinful. Not wanting God, but only wanting sin. Only wanting grass, just like Nebuchadnezzar. But God offers a renewal of our minds for those that put aside their pride and put aside their sin and repent and go towards God. And that's what God is doing here this morning. He is calling you near. He is drawing you near to Him. Will you lift up your face to heaven? Will you turn away from your sin and answer the calling of God's salvation? Will you repent? And maybe you're in here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're in here this morning and you relate so much to Nebuchadnezzar in this story. Maybe you feel yourself far away from God. Maybe you feel like you've served your own needs, your own selfish ambitions and desires. Maybe you've dealt with pride in your heart. Maybe you've turned away from God multiple times even though He's been chasing after you. I want to encourage you today, answer the call of God. And let's praise together for another saved soul. Let's praise together for the miracle of salvation. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when someone is saved and someone gives their life to Jesus. That's what I want to do today. I want to, in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm not going to have you lift your hand or, you know, stand up or anything like that. But I want to pray this prayer of repentance. And if that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray that prayer to God. And I want you to come up to the front. We're going to have, uh, at the end of service, we're going to have some, uh, some uh, prayer leaders up here. And we would love to get to know you and pray for you and rejoice with you. Now I want to uh, address the, the saved person in the room, brother and sister in Christ. I want to encourage you, share your testimony. Write down your testimony. See, Nebuchadnezzar came to know God because of the testimony of Daniel, the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of us here will come to know God because of the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. And people will come to know God because of the testimony that God has given each and one of you. So share it. Write it down. Bear your testimony to one another. Bear your testimony before the church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. A morning full of praise, full of your glory. 
God, this morning, we wanna, just want to pray out to you. We want to pray a prayer of repentance and love. We don't want to live a life for ourselves anymore. We want to live a life for you. God, I ask today that if anybody prays this prayer, they feel bold enough to come and speak to somebody so we can praise with them, so we can worship you with them, God. I want to pray this prayer, God, please forgive us of our sins. God, we don't want to live for ourselves. We don't want to live for our selfish ambitions. We don't want to live for the things that this world has to offer. We want to live for you. God, I turn away from my old life and I want to answer the call of salvation. God, I want to give my life to you. I am no longer an orphan, but I am a son and daughter of the Most High that rules above all nations. That is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God. God, thank you so much. We love you so much. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.